The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy has the following to say about probability theory. The longer a podcast goes on, the more likely it is to resemble an episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In the course of a normal podcast, this process takes between three to five years. But the predicament one Josh Addison of Onehunga, Auckland, New Zealand finds himself in is an unusual one. After all, his podcast is named after the eponymous guide, and thus he, and by extension the podcast itself, has resembled a Douglas Adams reference since the middle of 2014. Oh no, not again. Josh has turned into a bowl of petunias, which is currently in the process of descending inelegantly towards the surface of the planet Magrathea. In the distance, somehow able to sense despite having no sensory organs fit to the task, he can see one Dr. M. R. X. Dentith standing at the window of the ship, the Heart of Gold. To say that Josh is a seething mass of resentment over his predicament is to downplay his general disposition of resentment, seething or otherwise, that he feels generally. What he can't see is that somewhere in the distance a whale, also inelegantly placed in the gravity well surrounding the planet, is having a much better time of falling to its death. But the entry in the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy on what happens to a cetacean in a decaying orbit around the planet is a matter for another time. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Dr. M.R.X. Dentith and featuring Josh Addison as The Interlocutor. Hello, you're listening to The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I'm Josh Addison, and sitting next to me, there are low-down gangster set trippin' banger, and their homies are down, so don't arouse their anger. It's Dr. M.R.X. Dentith. I do like those classic intros. Mm. Hit me with your rhythm sticks. Both of them. Bit of coolio. It's my special. That, that that's under under special skills on my resume. It's can fold a fitted sheet and knows all the words to Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, including every time he says "fool," which is important. Uh, anyway, we're um we're going back 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 to the basics again. Indeed, back to a, actually a fairly early episode, mm. one which is not as late in the history of the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy as I initially thought, truth be told. I actually thought this occurred much later on. But actually, it's kind of in the first 12 episodes mm. or so, we are talking about the thesis of conspiracism. Right, now conspiracism, as we all know, is Dr. Dentith's Twitter handle. So I assume we're here to talk about Twitter for the next 30 minutes or so? I mean, we could. We could talk about Twitter. And in fact, probably at some point we should talk mm. about Twitter, but not today, no, Joshua. No. no, we're talking about a term which has, I would say, an ambivalent meaning depending on who you're talking to. So conspiracism is either just another term for generic belief in conspiracy theories, or sometimes taken to be a generic term for conspiracy theorizing, uh, sometimes known as conspiracy ideation. And it's kind of associated with the term conspiracist playing the role of conspiracy theorist. So for some people, conspiracism and conspiracy theorists are exactly the same as talking about conspiracy theorizing and conspiracy theorists. But there's also a school of thought 
in amongst the conspiracy theory theorists, the people who study conspiracy theory, that conspiracism is a very special kind of belief in conspiracy theories, one which is by definition either prima facie irrational, so has no epistemic basis whatsoever, or is psychologically problematic, indicates that the person has formed a belief about the existence of a conspiracy in a psychologically problematic fashion. So they suffer from paranoia or something close to it, or they have psychological factors that lead them to belief in the existence of conspiracies where none exist. Right, so this sounds like a useful distinction to make if you believe that some conspiracy theories are warranted and some are not, and some types of conspiracy theorizing are good and some are not, um, but a less useful one if you are of the opinion that all conspiracy theories are nonsense and conspiracy theorizing in general is bunk. So, yeah, I guess it's only an issue for, for in, in that second case where you're wanting to draw a distinction. Is it a useful distinction to draw? Well, yes and no. So it kind of all depends on definitions. So if you are someone like myself or like ourselves who believes that conspiracy theorizing can be rational, and indeed in a variety of different situations, belief in a conspiracy theory turns out to be rational, and using Charles Pigton's adage here, if you are politically or historically literate, you kind of have to be a conspiracy theorist because conspiracy theories are, sorry, conspiracies are littered through history and theories about those conspiracies are littered through history as well, many of which were warranted or justified according to the evidence at the time. So you've got your Watergate, you've got your Moscow show trials, you've got your assassination of Caesar, you've got your Elizabethan court intrigues. These are all examples of conspiracies which occurred that people theorized at the time. Then if you're working with a pejorative definition of conspiracism, the worry here is you might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And it kind of all depends, once again, how are you defining conspiracy theory? Because that kind of tells you your opinion on conspiracism and conspiracists. Mm. So, yeah, so if you think um, conspiracism just means belief in conspiracy theory, then there's nothing for us to talk about, I suppose, but in the case where you want to say that um, there's a difference between conspiracy theories that are inherently irrational and ones that are not necessarily inherently rational, I suppose, but not inherently irrational, um, then it could be a useful, con um, a useful distinction to draw. It, it sounds a little bit like just sort of a way of giving people an out, though. It sounds a little bit like... Um, if people people who don't want to, sorry, I'm making this up on the fly, and I have a point. I'm just, I'm, it's, 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 it's sorry, we, it with we my will let you get there. We will let you get there. You have people who want to draw distinctions. You have people who don't want to draw distinctions, and I, I wonder if this is a way that people can say, oh yes, th th there is a. Like the particular views wants to say conspiracy theories need to be evaluated on their merits. And this seems like it's going possibly for a halfway point saying there's a certain kind of conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorizing that doesn't need to be um, evaluated on its methods because it, the, 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 this one kind of it 
is irrational and therefore can be disregarded, but there's this other kind that isn't, and that's okay. It kind of sounds like it's it's trying to have its cake and eat it in yeah, terms so of a particularist general. There are kind of two position. points to make here. The first is there's a notion of what Juha Reicher calls the fantastical conspiracy theory, a position which is actually talked about by both Juha and Lee Basham in a recent work. And the fantastical conspiracy theory is kind of your David Icke alien shape-shifting reptile conspiracy theory. It's so obviously fantastical that we can kind of discard it and go, this is unlikely to be true, we can treat it as being fantastical, don't treat these particular conspiracy theories seriously. And so you might go, well, conspiracism describes that kind of fantastical belief in conspiracy theories. Now, it's debatable as to whether there is any mark of the fantastic to any particular conspiracy theory. I personally don't think that alien shape-shifting reptiles are likely in control of the human population. I also think we should probably investigate that claim just to make sure, because it could be true. It's very unlikely, but it could be true. And I don't think that just because it mentions alien shape-shifting lizards, we should immediately dismiss it without there being at least one or two people doing the hard graft to go, yeah, let's just uh, check the evidence for this, because if it turned out to be true, we should probably know about it. So on that level, I think we can kind of push it to one side. But the real worry is, many of the academics working in the conspiracy theory theory literature treat conspiracism in the pejorative sense of completely irrational or psychologically problematic as being the greater set of belief in conspiracy theories. So they kind of turn the tables and go, well, most conspiracy theorizing is conspiracist in nature. Conspiracism is bad, ipso facto. Conspiracy theorizing is largely bad. That gives us a reason to dismiss conspiracy theory. Right, yeah, I suppose that is a point, isn't it? If you're going to draw the distinction, then there comes the question of where do you draw the line? Yeah, and what, yeah. what is the balance? Mm, mm. And that's why definitions are important here. Because if you take the kind of definition we work with in this podcast and in my academic work, that conspiracies are common and it's relatively common to find examples of conspiracy theories which are warranted, then conspiracism is a small subset, if it exists at all, we'll get onto that in a minute, of belief in conspiracy theories generally. And that flows from the definition that because conspiracies are common, conspiracy theories are going to be relatively common given the kind of society we live in. But if you take it that conspira uh, actual conspiracies are rare, because your definition of conspiracy theory is so restrictive, it doesn't admit things like surprise parties and the like, then you're going to go, well, conspiracism is more common. Ipso facto, most belief in conspiracy theories is, by definition, irrational. Mm. So you mentioned David Icke a minute ago. Is that, is, 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 is that sort of thing the template? If, if we're going to buy this conspiracism, conspiracy theorizing distinction, is, is David Icke the sort of person people are thinking of then. David Icke, to... if you're from, from the UK, Alex Jones, if you're from the US. Right. Lauren Fortuna, if you're from Romania. Viktor Orban, if you're from Hungary. 
basically there's going to be, I mean, Ian Wishart would probably be our mm. example in Aotearoa, New Zealand. There are lots of examples of people that people claim are irrational believers in conspiracy theories who they then associate with belief in conspiracy theories generally. Mm. Is that a fair thing to say, do you think? I think not, actually. I mean, it seems an odd thing to now be defending David Icke and Alex Jones. But I think there are two points to make here. One, if you actually start looking at Alex Jones's beliefs or David Icke's beliefs, it turns out that actually they have fairly sophisticated arguments for their particular claims of conspiracy. Now, their arguments often operate on very interesting assumptions that aren't shared by the likes of you or me. And the kind of evidence they use is the kind of thing which we might think collectively doesn't strongly point in a conspiratorial direction. But it's not clear that they have a prima facie irrational or psychological disposition to believe in these conspiracy theories. They at least act in a way where they're presenting reasons and arguments for their conclusions. And as listeners to this podcast know, I've been to multiple David Icke talks now. And these are eight-hour sessions where he very slowly and methodically lays out his rationale for the existence of an alien shape-shifting reptile or iconic virus conspiracy. And even he pokes fun at... The, you know, initially it sounds ridiculous, but follow the evidence and it seems sensible way that he approaches things. So it's not clear that they are irrational epistemically or irrational psychologically. They are presenting very strong arguments. They're just presenting arguments in a fashion that many, and I'm putting in scare quotes, sensible people find to be a bit weird. The other thing, of course, is that many of the critics of people like David Icke and Alex Jones will then argue that they do it for the money. Mm. Yes, so their beliefs for, aren't you know, actually genuine At which point the they're, not, they're not being conspiracists by that definition. If they're doing it for financial gain and they know they're putting forward bad arguments, then either we need to admit in a third category of conspiracism, which is the promotion of conspiracy theories for financial gain, regardless of the evidence, or we have to admit they're actually not being conspiracists because they're being really clever and just playing a system. Mm. I mean, of course, in that case, you could then just go on and say, well, okay, they don't believe it, but plenty of the people who listen to them do, so there's your conspiracists then in the first place. Well, yeah. But... Yep. Um, yeah, I think in some of the, and you can sort of see a progression of developing beliefs over the time. You can kind of see that with Ian Wishart too. I don't really know a lot of his history, but I know he did start. He, he was the wine was box. A, yeah, he was a, a respected journalist, and there was the wine box inquiry. And it's sort of the impression one gets is that he stumbled on a genuine conspiracy and then started seeing them everywhere. But then stuff. I think that a lot of his views are informed by his his religious beliefs and other things like that and so on. But it, it did sort of seem. Uh, to, to, to outward eyes, it did kind of seem like he went crazy, quote unquote. Um, that he certainly there, there was a there was a, a gradual sort of movement from what we would consider yeah more logical conspiracy theorizing to your more conspiracy. Well, yeah. So Wishart is a classic case of he was right once about the wine box inquiry, and now believes he's right about everything. So he hit upon the right way to investigate the wine box inquiry for 
non-New Zealanders. That was a massive tax rort being operated through the Cook Islands by our millionaire class back in the 80s and 90s. There were a whole bunch of tax documents leaked to MP Winston Peters in a wine box, thus the name. When it was investigated, it was discovered there were these loopholes in taxation law, which allowed people to basically funnel money out of the country to the Cook Islands, a tax haven, to avoid paying, paying tax here. It was a big scandal. Things were tightened up because of it. And Winston Peters and Ian Wishart were tarred as conspiracy theorists at the time for promoting this particular story, despite the fact it turns out they were completely right. And Wishart seems to have taken the, I was called a conspiracy theorist for believing that the wine box inquiry was actually real, and it turned out I was right. I'm also correct in thinking that Helen Clark's a lesbian and intelligent design is true. Mm. Because they're saying the same things about me now. Yes. So, okay, so we, we have your, your Wishart's and your Joneses and your Ikes, and if they're... If you don't want to call them conspiracists, because they do seem to have a, a rational framework behind their beliefs, even if maybe it's one of those cases of starting with a wonky pre uh, premise, but then sort of quote unquote rationally following it to to um, conclusions, are there any people who would legitimately be called as conspiracists then? Possibly. So, clinical paranoiacs in a psychological sense, people who think they're being conspired against by members of the public and their families, probably actually do qualify as being conspiracists, because these are people who do not have a sound evidential basis for their particular clinical paranoia. So that's obviously an issue, and that seems to dovetail quite nicely with conspiracism. But that's probably it. That's probably as close as we get. Is that like the um, targeted individuals that we've looked at in the past? I would say so, yes. They are. Mm. I mean, unless you believe there is a large-scale state conspiracy against these people and these particular individuals in particular, then yes, it's very likely that actually they are suffering from paranoia. And their par paranoia seems to be a perfect match for what people call conspiracism. But that's an incredibly rare thing in the human population generally. So if these people qualify, they are a tiny subset of people who believe in conspiracies against them. And it's certainly not normal belief in conspiracy theory as we find elsewhere. Okay, so... If we have the distinction between conspiracist and conspiracy theorist, for starters, taking it as read that we do want to draw that distinction, and yet it seems like what really, anything that you could legitimately describe as being conspiracist thinking is fairly rare, is it then a useful distinction to make in the first place? On one hand, no. Because on one hand, basically the problem of conspiracism as I see it, and I've got, a, I've got an ah, article with that exact name, the problem of conspiracism, not as I see it, that would be a silly title, is that people conflate conspiracism with belief in conspiracy theories generally. So it's unhelpful as a term because people assume it means the same thing and then act as they do. And I've written several pieces now which have pointed out that people use the term interchangeably and it's a problem. On the other hand, it does explain or at least describe 
a particular kind of really hard to talk about belief in conspiracy theory, the belief in conspiracy theories that some people have, which appears to be not at all evidence-based. And if you want to talk about conspiracy theories under the terms of particularism, then you kind of have to talk about the fact there are some people out there who do seem to believe in conspiracy theories without being concerned about the particulars of evidence. So on one hand, it's an awful term and it's a hindrance to how we talk about things. On the other hand, it's very useful for describing a very small subsection of the population. We just have to be cautious that we then don't use that to describe all conspiracy theorists. And I've been taken to task by other people in the conspiracy theory theory discipline for using conspiracism as a handle and title for things. So the fact that I call my Twitter handle conspiracism is because, oh, you're just aiding and abetting people who do that particular type of analysis, despite the fact that it's quite obvious I'm using that as a joke. Mm. Mm. And indeed, this very podcast is hosted at conspiracism.podbean.com. Indeed. Wackiness. Mm. Where, if you wanted to give us a few bucks a month, no, you can get on. access to patron bonus content. Yes. Sorry, ignore my no hang on. I was... I actually thought we were recording another patron episode. <laughs> no, for a second. no, we're not. But we're not. We're recording a real episode. We are. Yes. Although we should. I thought, I thought you had suddenly gone mad, and yet it was I. The You've been mad. Was mine. We've ne- mm. Josh, we have never ever actually recorded a podcast at all. We just sit in this room oh. because Anna gets concerned that you just don't talk to enough people during the course of the week. So That's I just provide concern. you with. Yep. Yeah, I, yep. I provide you with some human company. Oh well, there we go. It's a good, important social service. Bless you. <laughs> Why do we keep buying lights, though? I don't know. You keep <laughs> buying lights. But that's because I have to make you feel happy. Okay, well, that's all right, then. Are you happy, Josh? Me. Yeah. That's better than last week. Mm. I'm of the MTV generation. I feel neither highs nor lows. It's true. Mm. Then again, that's also, you're a New Zealander. You express neither highs nor lows. Well, there's a bit of that as well. Yeah, so anyway, that's that's an interesting... Uh, another one of the foundational, I suppose, bits of your philosophy of conspiracy theories. Indeed. It's mm. always nice to come back and mm. revisit these things. Mm. So there we go. That's another another one of these episodes in the can. Indeed. Now, of course, there'll be a patron bonus episode associating mm. this particular episode, which exists out of time. Josh, what will, what will we be discussing in well, our patron bonus episode? could be anything at all but whatsoever. Give me a concrete example of something we will definitely be discussing. Well, I mean, given that patron episodes are generally news episodes, uh, I expect we'll be discussing the news that... Oh, I don't know. It turns out Mars is actually made out of jam, and that's the colour. And the powers that be don't want you to know because the, the the abundance of free jam in the solar system would cause the jam markets to collapse. And of course, the shocking revelation that Dame Judy Dench and Vin Diesel share the same child. Mm, and in fact, are the same person. From the time of Julius Caesar's Republic. Yep. It's so a I, very massive mm, conspiracy mm. theory, that one. Yeah, so I assume that's what we'll be talking about. I can't imagine anything else would come up in between now and then. So you don't think there's going to be an update on the whole Andy Bashago travels through time to defeat space Hitler at the dawn of history? Probably not. No, probably not. No. Actually, we should be checking in to see whether the Andy 2020 campaign mm. 
Yes, actually. It's actually going to be live and a wow. Mm. Although mm. that does rather date the spare episode, although we are kind of burning through these at a rate of knots anyway. Well, who knows? We'll have... We're recording this before the Christmas break of 2019, so chances are we'll, we'll we have plenty of excuse to not put up any episodes whatsoever for a while. So we shouldn't need this bonus episode. We shouldn't need to take this episode out of the can for a wee while yet. Although, although there's a potential complication that may mm. cause issue, but we'll talk about that after the podcast. Okay. Well, uh, so episode in the can. The dark gods are. Uh, pleased once yep, more. The rusty can, which I must thrust my hand into, remove the episodes from, is once mm. again filled and full of mm. episodes. Um, so I guess all that remains then to say is goodbye in some fashion, uh, and then stop recording and then go about our lives. And I'm going to say twiddly lumps. Right, well, I'm just going to say goodbye. Twiddly goodbye. lumps. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>